Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, along with Connor Glassy. I am John Manuel. We're going to talk baseball draft today. It's uh, day two of the draft, Connor, as we record this. The first round and supplemental round are in the books. And an eventful evening it was. And, uh, you know, uh, many of you watched our Jim Callis on MLB Network. He's flying back to Chicago today, or else he'd be on this podcast as well. Uh, Connor and I back in the office to grind out another day. We blogged yesterday, sometimes successfully, sometimes not. Uh, but we had a lot of fun, a giant conglomerate of interns in the office, Connor. Draft day is always an exciting day, especially now when it's really two big draft days. The third day is kind of a little anticlimactic, but day two is even bigger than day one in a lot of ways. Right. It, it is a lot of fun. I think it's kind of, you know, it, it kind of encompasses everything that we do here. It's, it's our high school coverage and our college coverage merged together for the draft coverage, and that kind of starts, you know, kicks things off for the minor league coverage. So That's right. It, it's an exciting time to be at Baseball America headquarters, and that's why we had some interns travel far and wide to come back to the office. We did. Foreign interns, domestic interns. <laughs> uh, it's interesting. It's a, it's a great group, and uh, a lot of people helping us out this year. Um, let's just jump right into the first round, the supplemental round of the draft, uh, Connor, because there were quite a few surprises. Yeah. Uh, let's just go pick by pick, really. Garrett Cole, 1-1 to the Pirates. I don't think you can really criticize the Pirates for taking Garrett Cole. He didn't have the biggest year this year. He did dominate last year. He's a two-time first-round pick. He's how you draw it up. I think not only does he have upside, but he's also safe. I think he's a really – he fits the template of what you're looking for in a 1-1 pick. Sure, and obviously, you know, you would like to see a player have a little bit more success. Yeah. You know, statistically, when you're, when you're picking a guy 1-1. Um, but that was kind of the Pirates' dilemma, you know, all year. We kind of saw that playing out that way because there wasn't that slam-dunk pick that the Nationals have had the past couple of years with Strasburg and Harper. Yep. Um, so there was kind of this this big group of guys to choose from. But, you know, when you're making a 1-1 pick, you have to look at track record uh, and not just dwell on what a guy's done for the past five or six weeks, you know. And so Garrett Cole was defensible there, and I, I think, you know, Pirates fans should be excited about a, a potential power rotation you know, Charlie in, Morton. In the next couple of years. <laughs> You're going to start with Ben Badler fave, Charlie Morton, and uh, you'll go from there. But, yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, – I, I don't – again, I don't think that Garrett Cole was a slam dunk 1-1, but he fits the 1-1 template, and I don't fault them at all for not taking Anthony Rendon, and I certainly don't fault them at all for not taking Danny Holson. The Mariners, you're a Pacific Northwest guy. Seattle was the first real shocker of the night. Danny Holton going second to Seattle. Uh, Tom McNamara is a Long Island guy. And we've seen that over and over again. They've drafted heavily in the Northeast at times. And uh, Danny Holton's kind of a Northeast guy. And Virginia's kind of in the Northeast. Uh, you know, for our draft coverage, it used to be the Northeast just to just to give the Northeast some players. Right. Um, you know, a lot of scouts still do, like the Mid-Atlantic, you know, from Virginia all the way to Jersey. Um, but Danny Holton was a surprise. I don't think we thought Seattle was taking a pitcher – how much of that do you think was purposeful, and uh, what do you think of the Holton pick? Is he the second best player in this draft, as Tom McNamara says? Well, yeah, it was a surprise, and it's funny that it's almost funny that it was a surprise because there was this group of six guys that we knew were kind of going to be the top six guys, and you know, there. I think Friday we had Holton as the number one guy. Yeah, but we did. all we of a sudden it's a surprise first. that he goes number two, and I think that's just because all along everyone thought the Mariners were going to take a bat. And I think fans were getting really excited about the possibility of a bat. Everyone, you know, Mariner fans were, were very excited about the possibility of having Rendon, Nick Franklin, Dustin Ackley, and Justin Smoke. 
<clears throat> and so that would be pretty interesting. Yeah, and so Holton was a little bit of a, a wrench into that, and I don't know if it was, you know, the Mariners just playing it close to the vest and, and throwing <laughs> a changeup, right. a Danny Holton changeup to the right. industry. That's right. But uh, you know, it's it's tough to say. That it, you know, you, you can't say it's a bad pick, right? It, it, He's it, clearly one of the top six players, like you said. There was a, there was this was a good draft. We talked about it all spring, good draft class. But t- as the year evolved, I think it was clear there was a group of six guys that did separate themselves a little bit. No offense to Archie Bradley or Francisco Lindor right. or those guys, but those top six guys were the consensus top six, and they yeah. took one of those top six guys. Yeah. So you know, even, even though a lot of fans were excited about the possibility of a bat, I mean, Danny Holton's Defensible there as well, and and uh, I think he's going to move real quickly and be in Seattle pretty soon. I think that's an attractive part about Danny Holton. I think a left-handed pitcher there is very attractive. You're talking about a compliment to Felix Hernandez and Michael Pineda. Mm-hmm. You, you just look forward to that. I think if you're a Mariners fan, you think that's a that's a rotation. It's a great great park for lefties to pitch in too. That's a great point. I think that you do as a team. You don't draft for knee, but you do have to take your ballpark into account. And on, on the flip side, it's a, it's a really tough park for right-hand hitters. So when you're talking about Rendon or Bubba Starling right there, kind of, you know, that's fascinating. those guys that's, a little that, bit. That's fascinating. Um, Danny Halton <laughs> goes to Arizona at three. I think this was a match made in heaven. This was a match made in long toss heaven. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to keep making fun of myself on that, but. Trevor Bauer wanted to go to the Arizona Diamondbacks, and the Arizona Diamondbacks reciprocated by taking Trevor Bauer third overall. You know, um, there's several ways you can look at Bauer. Let's look at a couple of them. First of all, do you think Trevor Bauer ever does, uh, you know, pitches the way he pitches and ever becomes two-time? I mean, how important do you think Tim Lincecum is to the Trevor Bauer story? I mean, first he is the template that Bauer uses to pattern his delivery after. And number two, Bauer has a similar career to Lincecum in a lot of ways, except with fewer walks. Yeah. And uh, with that similar body, a little bit bigger body, but not by a lot. A lot of people are bigger than Tim Lincecum. A little bit bigger body, similar delivery, similar results. He goes seven spots higher. I mean, to me, Bauer, a pitcher like Trevor Bauer never goes third overall in the draft if Tim Lincecum hadn't had the career he's already had with the San Francisco Giants. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, if, if Lincecum had gone out and, and fell on his face, it would have been a lot harder for, for Trevor Bauer to, you know, go as high as he did, I think. I think you're right with that. There's already so much skepticism about Bauer and the way he trains and how many pitches he throws and all that stuff, the eight straight or nine straight complete games, whatever it was. Um, nine, now, yeah. Uh, yeah, nine. But I, I think that that skepticism is tempered by the fact that Lincecum has done what Lincecum has done. He's basically yeah. had one bad month. As yep. a professional. Yeah. No, I think you're right. And um, hopefully we'll get to see him match up someday soon. Yeah, honestly, I'd love that. Uh, who would you have taken, though, Arizona at three? Like, I would have taken Bauer. I mean, I'm a Bauer apologist. I think you. my feeling is that you probably would have taken Dylan Bundy, who went fourth to the Orioles. Yeah, I mean, Dylan Bundy, you know, that, that would have been defensible as well. I mean, he's he's almost viewed as a college pitcher because he's such a polished high school pitcher. I mean, Correct. He has power stuff. And he's not, he's not a very big guy himself. Yeah, 6'1", but my gosh, his body is thick, and he just looks it's explosive. So muscular. Yeah, a lot of explosion in the body, and, you know, he's got a chance to have four-plus pitches, and he's got a nice, athletic, repeatable delivery. I mean, you watch that video of him last night. It's just it's remarkable how well he lands that front leg, and it stays there. It doesn't slide. It doesn't – it's just 
Like he's glued. anchored. He's Boom. anchored, and it's and not a hard landing either. <clears throat> it's firm. He plants. He his delivery is. I would rather teach the way Dylan Bundy does it than the way that Trevor Bauer it's, it's does textbook. it. Textbook, right? <laughs> so it's also going to be fascinating because they both uh, are big long toss guys. It'd be fascinating to watch those guys. Uh, again, I don't think there's a cookie cutter way. Right. I think it, pitchers need to be allowed to develop their own, see what works for them. Um, Completely but, agree with but that. But Dylan Bundy is going to be fascinating to watch because he, he's a six-one high school right-hander. He's not the way you usually draw it up. No, uh, he's not. Here's two. Here's two six-one right-handers going three and four overall in the draft. Yeah, he's not how you draw it up. But when you talk about things that you want in a pitcher, he has everything you want, except for maybe the size. That's about it, except for a couple of inches of height. I would take the guy who's 6'1 and and has everything else. Yeah. Um, And and let me just go back to Bunny for one second. I I just want to say that he's been been doing that with his delivery for a while now. The only time I have seen him was when he was going into his junior year, and that was in Jupiter. He was on the Yankee scout team, and that, that was actually the first thing I remember about him. I'm like, wow, he really sticks that landing foot, and it helps him throw strikes with all of his pitches. He's pretty impressive. And the Orioles, to get a guy like that at number four, I think, is a coup for the Baltimore Orioles, who now have two Bundys. So uh, d- double your Bundy <laughs> pleasure for the Baltimore Orioles. And then really uh, kind of the next most intriguing pick. I mean, I think after the Mariners took Holtz in it, too, and kind of zigged when everyone thought they'd zag. Um, you get to Kansas City, and they're staring Anthony Rendon in the face. They're staring Bubba Starling in the face. They're staring Francisco Lindor down, which I think there was a lot of thought they were going to take Lindor. The college pitchers they wanted were off the board. Yeah. I think if they'd taken a college pitcher here, it might have been a little bit of a reach. And so they don't take a college pitcher. They go with the hometown guy, Bubba Starling. Um, this was maybe the most exciting pick of the draft for me. I think I agree. I I you know, I was very excited to see Bubba go to his hometown team, and I'm sure the fans were very excited as well. You know, it's it's always good when the talent at that, you know, where at the spot where you're picking lines up with, you know, the player that you want to take. It was pretty cool that it matched up. I yeah. agree completely. But four, so the first time in draft history that four pitchers go the first four picks, and then you get Bubba starting the hometown guy at five. So the Nationals at six, <laughs> third year in a row – Number one player on Baseball America's draft board, the Washington Nationals get him, and they didn't even have to pick first overall to take him. Uh, long relationship between Mike Rizzo, their general manager. He's had a very successful history of drafting uh, Scott Boris Corporation clients. Anthony Rendon, a Scott Boris Corporation client. And he goes sixth overall to the Nats. Uh, the question I got from Nats fans, even a couple media members last night on Twitter was, well, we have Ryan Zimmerman, so where are we going to play Anthony Rendon? Where do you feel Rendon fits best as a Nat? Uh, second base, left field, uh, first base. You think you leave him at third base and move Ryan Zimmerman? What do you? What would you do if you were the Nats going forward with Anthony Rendon? I think, you know, I think good teams draft the best player available and let it sort itself out. Um, for now, what what I would do is I would leave Rendon at third base for as long as possible and see what happens. Okay. I mean, because you never know what's going to happen. You never know if you know injured or but I would leave him at third base for now and then you know maybe if he if he's maybe a year away and and Zimmerman's still at third base for them and and, you know things aren't working out then you think about moving him but I would try to leave him at third base just as long as possible because that's where he's most comfortable and I know he has played some other positions but um, 
I don't know. What, what, what would you do? I would definitely leave him in the dirt, and I would give him a try at second base. Uh, to me, uh, this guy could be a Jeff Kent kind of offensive player, and uh, and maybe a bit, and probably a better defender than Jeff Kent. I think he's driven. What what makes Anthony Rendon for me is when Aaron Fitt interviewed him last year, and, and he talked about how motivated he was by the talk that he wasn't a good defensive player as a freshman, and he became just a stud defender as a sophomore. I think this guy's motivated. At the same time, I do think there's something there with his shoulder. Yeah. You know? um, there's less stress at second base. You do have to have arm on, on the throw. You do have to have arm strength to do the most important thing at second base, which is turn the double play. Physically, I think he fits at second base at six yeah. foot 180. I don't think Buster only was making that stuff up when he was in big league executive saw him as a second baseman. Um, Buster's reputable and yeah, he's well sourced. Yeah. yeah, so I, I don't think he was making that up. I think that Anthony Rendon would be a fine third baseman in the, in the David Wright mold. If he can be that kind of offensive player at second base and be an average def- I think, put it this way, he's more likely to be a good defender at second base than Dustin Ackley. I think that's, just because Dustin Ackley looks like Chase Utley, he ain't Chase Utley. Yeah. And I've always thought that was a force. Um, so to me, Anthony Rendon at second base is not a force. So I... I like the idea of Rendon at second base. I think that's your best bet if you're the Nats. Holy cow. Yeah. Uh, Rendon, uh, Zimmerman, Rendon, and Harper. Well, let's go <laughs> Zimmerman, three-hole, Harper, four-hole. Please tell me you saw the video of Bryce Harper blowing the kiss the other day. I didn't. I oh tried to find gosh. a video. Okay. I just it read was, about it. I tried to it's find awesome. A he hits just... the home run with his cheesy mustache and his Joe Dirt mullet, A. B, he poses after he hits the home run. He does a very slow walk. So I guess he is LeBron of baseball because he poses a lot like LeBron. Third, it was like a Wilson Ramos slow trot around the bases. Fourth, he just looked at the pitcher and gave him a little kiss like that. It oh, was, there was no hand gesture? No, there was no hand. It was oh, all okay. in the head. This guy, obviously there's a little maturity issue. And, and you know, he's allowed. He's 18. A. B. Nobody seems to have as much fun playing baseball as Bryce Harper. Yeah. I mean, dude, he just loves playing the game. I love that about him. I don't see that as a I negative. Do I, I do love too. that about I've him. I've always said, I thought, you know, people saying that he had bad makeup were just flat out wrong. We're just saying I he's a bad kid. That. That's he just he, The emphasis there is kid. Yeah. He's a kid. Yeah. And, Let me just uh, also add this. If we have any uh, Time Warner employees working, uh, can you please get Masson on Time Warner? Because <laughs> I, I, I want to watch Nationals games here real soon. Yeah, you got to get the dish. Um uh, by the way, we've got some t- Twitter questions. We're going to get to your Twitter questions here in just a second. Um, uh, you can follow us at Baseball America or 23,000-odd followers. I've pushed past the 3,000 mark on Twitter the last couple weeks. Very exciting. Creeping um, up towards 2,000 myself. Nice. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I'm close to 3,200 now, which is uh, fun. Uh, Jim Cowell's over the 10,000 mark. Uh, so send us your questions. We'll be happy to answer them. Uh, I'm at John Manuel B.A. He's at Connor Glassy. Uh, Jim at Jim Callis B.A. Um, let's, let's go a little quicker here with the rest of the first round though, uh, Connor, Arizona at seven with Archie Bradley. That seemed to make sense. I mean, sure. it's not, pick, it's not uh, protected. Like they could lose it if they don't sign Archie Bradley. But to me, you take a guy at that pick who you want and then you can spread the bonus out. Yeah, you can spread it out. And it's a nice compliment to Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer, the polished high right. school or co- polished college arm. And then you get the high upside high school guy there. I just so. love, I just love that this is an organization that has a lot of off speed jokers. And they took some power arms this year. Yeah. And that's a, a good change. Uh, what do you think of Francisco Lindor at eight to uh, Cleveland? I thought that was a, a bold move. 
And an out-of-character move for that team. It was a little bit out-of-character, but I like it. I mean, you know, that's a team that uh, could use a shortstop. I mean, I know that, you know, Ezra Bucabrera... It's funny, because Ezra Bucabrera is actually a player that I thought Lindor kind of compared to a little bit. It's a switch-hitting, good glove, showing a little bit of power this year, too. And so it'll be interesting to see those two in the same organization, but you never have too many shortstops. I mean, we saw a run of shortstops later on in the draft, that's the first shortstop. That's the first high school player drafted in the first round by the Tribe since 2001. And back then it was two pitchers, Dan Denham and Alan Horn. I like this move for Cleveland. I really think that Cleveland the last three or four years has been more aggressive and, frankly, better yeah. at the top of the draft. Chisholm Hall, Alex White, Drew Pomeranz, now Lindor the last four years. That's a big difference from the days of Michael Aubrey, who I love, but had a bad back when they drafted him. And some of these other guys. I, I, I like the direction Cleveland has moved in the last four years. I do, too. Uh, then the Cubs, I don't think this was a surprise. It was a, it was a higher on our – it took Javier Baez higher than I think we had him on our board. But, you know, Javier Baez uh, on talent is a top ten talent, I think, in this draft. I think all the makeup questions were really there for him. I mean, uh, he and Taylor Guerrero are the two guys I thought would drop because of makeup concerns. Right. Guerrero did drop. Um, you know, when we say makeup concerns, I know there's some people who think that's a – I think it's something we hide behind. It's actually, I think, something that we are using to protect a player from allegations. There's a lot of smoke there with Taylor Guerrero. Right. And if if I had, if I were, say, uh, the New York, if we were the New York Times, Connor, we would dispatch a writer to South Carolina to dig and get sourced uh, ironclad reports on Taylor Guerrero's makeup. We don't have that. We have secondhand rumors, innuendo. Or people telling us stories off the record that we can't report. Right. So I think for us to say makeup concerns, <clears throat> immaturity, these kind of things, we're, that's not us hiding behind anything. That's us trying to be responsible. It's more um, responsible than, than saying what we've heard. Just exactly. Say, throwing that out there. So. That, that's absolutely true. With Baez, it's pretty documented. It's different with Javier Baez. Uh, there's a sketchy past. His coach is his legal guardian, but his mom and his family are still in the picture, but no one's quite sure how. They're in the picture. I directly asked his guardian, Ron Dickerson, what is the stat, you know, where is his mom and what's his mom's role in his life? And yeah. I didn't get a good answer. Yeah. I got an obfuscating answer. Then on the field, Javier Baez is kind of high strung. Uh, not, his scouts consistently say he's not a great teammate. You've seen it yourself. Hey, he's, kind of, he's just kind of a punk. I mean, you know, you don't see players ejected from showcase games. Very Pretty often. much ever, and <laughs> and that's what happened to him last last year in Jupiter when he was on the Cardinal scout team. He got into almost a fight at third base when he slid into third base, stealing third base, and he got kicked out of the game. And and so so while both you know Baez and Guerrero fall under kind of the umbrella of makeup concerns that, that we say they're different. You yeah. know, um, Baez is more just kind of a you know. Well, even the way that his coach Ron and guardian uh, put it is that I taught him to play the game with a chip on his shoulder, and I'm responsible for that, and that's probably my fault. That's exactly what I was going to say. He plays with a chip on his shoulder and just kind of, you know, is just kind of mean out there. And I've had not, that. I, I got that from a couple of scouts. Yeah. Mean streak. Right. Mean streak was the phrase that, uh, <clears throat> that came up, and it wasn't isolated. It was for several people. But you know what? You can, you can dial it back. It's hard to turn up that intensity. Exactly. But you can dial it back, especially when kids grow up. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the hope. And the bottom line is this guy's bat is spectacular. Yeah. I mean, it's real yeah. and it's spectacular. Yeah. So um, then you have uh, the Padres at 10. After we talk about Corey Spangenberg, let's take some questions on our Twitter. 
um, accounts. But Spangenberg at 10. Jim Cowles had reported all along the Padres were tied to Spangenberg. Hoped to get him at 25. Uh, I think with a pick protected, uh, put it this way, the Diamondbacks at 7. Last year they drafted Barrett Laps at 6. They don't get him, they get a compensation pick at 7. In my mind, they trade up to Archie Bradley. Sure. Meanwhile, the Padres, Carson Whitson last year, they don't sign him. I I like Corey Spangenberg, but Corey Spangenberg does not equal. I mean, Archie Bradley greater than Barrett Laps. Yeah. Carson Whitson greater than Corey Spangenberg. I agree with that as well. I don't think Spangenberg is a bad pick, but you're not shooting for the moon at 10 when you take Corey Spangenberg. Right. I don't think Spangenberg is a bad pick either, but at the same time, you, when you look at the Padres, they, have, they had a lot of extra picks. And you kind of have to weigh their whole draft as a whole. So, right. so if you really like Spangenberg, you want him at 25, well, grab him at 10 and then go down and get Joe Ross at 25, who's going to be a tough sign at a UCLA. And the thing I really liked about the Padres draft, let's, uh, that's, a good, that's a really good <clears throat> segue. Spangenberg at 10 is not Whitson, but he's a polished college bat. Really, as far as pure college hitters, only guys in the draft, who, in my mind, were slam dunk better than him were guys like Rendon and C.J. Crone, as far as pure hit. Right. Um, Spangenberg, pure hit. Colton Wong is in that same mix to me with Corey Spangenberg. I think Spangenberg and and Wong are pretty similar. Spangenberg runs better Mm -hmm. than Colton Wong. I think they're very similar players. Um, Then you have Joe Ross, Michael Kelly, a couple of really projectable high school arms. Uh, Kelly has the perfect 6'5", 195 pitcher's frame. Also, I think think it helps when you see a high school player who was on a team that won a state title and led that team to the state title. I like that about my high school picks. That's Michael Kelly. He did it on the mound. He did it in the field. Uh, he did it yeah, at, the, at the plate. Yeah, it's nice to see Michael Kelly going to an NL team because he can hit, too. He had Tyler Green on his high school team, and he out-hit him. He definitely out-hit him. Too. He out-hit him, and he out-homered him, and he out. He came up big when West Boca High needed it. And as a selfishly as a one-time Boca resident, West Boca High was a swamp when I was in Boca, but you know it's kind of neat that West Boca High won a state title. Yeah. Uh, but Joe Ross, a little bit, you know, not as big as his brother, but more projectable because he has a cleaner arm and a better stride. And he's right. even at 6'2", 180, excellent athlete. He's, like. You know, you talk about Spangenberg not being as good as Carson Wentz. Well, Joe Ross is pretty close. Yeah, that's a great point. Yep. Similar in a line. Those North Cal kids kind of get, they kind of float under the radar a little bit. I think if Joe Ross was in Southern California or in Florida, like Carson Wentz was, he probably would have gone a little bit higher. It's weird how NorCal kind of gets swept under the it rug. Is. It is really weird. It's I mean, California for crying out loud. I know. I know. They kind of have that little brother, little brother complex up there, which is funny. Joe Ross is a little brother. Nice. He fits. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I love their last two picks. Brett Austin, in my mind, was one of the most attractive catchers out there. Supplemental first-round pick out of Providence High in Charlotte, North Carolina. And Jace Peterson, I don't know if he was a personal cheese ball, but I like left-handed, middle infield, guy who walks more than he strikes out for three years in college, also played football. There's a lot to like with sure. Jace Peterson there. So that, sure. to, to me, the, I think you're bringing up a great point. I wasn't trying to bang on the Padres necessarily, but when you the portfolio of their first five picks makes a lot of sense. And in my mind, makes the Spangenberg pick at 10 uh, sound a lot better. Let's take a couple of these uh, Twitter questions. Uh, we got several of them. Um, let's see. Richard uh, Thorpe, with the number of picks the Rays had, did they play the book? For where they or, or or were they did they play by the book or were they creative? All right, I, the spelling there threw me a little bit, but um, the we'll Rays, Connor, yeah, now the Rays. Well, I'm, I'm gonna let you take most of these questions. The Rays, uh, you know, picked first. They didn't pick first until 24, but then it seemed like every other pick was theirs. And ten yeah. of the first ten of the first 60 picks <clears throat> yesterday with the Rays, uh, Roberto Hernandez and Donzon were the busiest guys in the supplemental round. Yeah, I, you know, I think the the right answer for this is that. 
there is no way to play the book. That's right. There's no book. Had this this many picks. There's no book for so, this. So, you know, they were. I don't. You know, I wouldn't say they were creative, but they definitely did what we thought they were going to do. In that, they took a portfolio approach. I mean, I love them getting Taylor Guerrero at 24. I think I that's that was, great value. Yeah, no doubt. Kind of slid down a little bit. The same with Mikey Montek. He slid a little bit too, and they grabbed both those guys. I was stunned that Montek went to 31. Stunned. Yeah. A lot of teams that I thought were going to draft a college bat. Passed on Mikey Matuk, and I wonder almost if the fact that LSU didn't play for the last two weeks, just that it just had inertia of him being done if other people just didn't pass him because he wasn't right. playing anymore. Just strange that he fell to 31. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know if that played into it or just teams didn't see him as a center fielder. You know, and the, the bat definitely profiles better if he can stay in center field. Yeah, I think I think John Hart actually put it well. I think he's a solid major league average outfielder. Whether he's in, it would be better if he could do that in center field. But I think he can do that in right field. He's got a right field arm. So I mean, like I don't know who's a solid major league average right fielder. They're not. I mean, can this guy have a Carlos Quinn type career? I think it'll be a lot more consistent yeah. than Carlos Quinn. I think that's the one of the things I heard him is that you look in the big leagues, you're trying to find a college a guy who played outfield in college on a corner who's a right-handed hitter. There are very few of them. That's why I brought up Carlos Quentin. He's about the only one. I mean, there are just not that many guys. The guys who play the outfield corner of the big leagues, uh, like a Ryan Braun, well, he was a shortstop and a third baseman in college. Right. Most of the other guys, rest of those guys who were college bats are uh, you know, guys who hit left-handed. Your right-right outfielders are guys like Corey Hart. Even at 6'6", was playing third base in double A. Yeah. Mikey Montag's been an outfielder from the start. So, you know, Mike Cameron, center field. I'm just yeah. taking a right-right outfielders. It's a small group. Uh, it's a tough profile. I think the profile is what drove Mikey Montek down to 31, but I think he's great value for Tampa there. I do too. And then they went with some, you know, they took some signability guys. Like I think Blake Snell moved up because of signability. Yeah, he's going to sign for slot, right? Yeah, you, you know, you got to think so. I mean, he has great stuff, and he pitched well in front of in front of large groups of scouts, which helped him. Uh, but, you know, he's a, he's a left-hander. He's been up to 94, mostly like 90, 91. But, uh, you know, scouts wonder – Scott's I talk to wonder if you can actually project on him because even though he's a tall, skinny guy, he doesn't have frame? a lot of room. Yeah, okay. very thin frame. So it might end up just being a forty-five, fifty fastball oh. instead of that sixty fastball that he's shown flashes of. What we call the Baseball America office a Matt Blood frame <laughs> after after former BA staffer Matt Blood Skipper uh, Skipper Blood is a thin framed guy. Yep. Uh, in other words. A guy I wish I looked more like. <laughs> I wish I were a yeah, little more thin-framed. Yeah, Connor and I are not, uh, no one's ever going to say that we're thin-framed. Uh, we're just big bone. Uh, I like Kes Carter for them. Also, their college picks they took there, Kes Carter and Grayson Garvin. I, I think there was some late late buzz that I didn't buy on Grayson Garvin going 59th. Uh, yeah. He went 59th. There was late buzz. He'd go in the end of the first round. Uh, to me, let's compare him to, say, Sean Gilmartin, who Atlanta got at 28. Well, uh, Grayson Garvin throws harder. Uh, you know, better, better present fastball. What are they going to pitch with on every five days rest? I'm going to say they're both going to pitch with an average fastball. You know, it might be fringe average for Gilmartin. Command, I'm going to give that a slight edge to Gilmartin. Breaking ball, edge Gilmartin. It's an average slider versus a below average breaking ball for Garvin. Right. Change up, even though Garvin has a good change up, it, I think it's going to be a solid average big league change up, and Gilmartin's going to pitch with a plus change up. Athleticism, edge Gilmartin. I think Sean, that's why Sean Gilmartin, I think a lot of people tried to make it like uh, that Grayson Garvin was right there with these other college left-handers or other left-handers in the draft. 
there just aren't that many lefties with a below average breaking ball pitching in the big leagues. Right. And the, re- the results have been there. But right. when you start breaking down tools by tools, you know, that's why I think Martin went at the end of the first round and, and Grayson right. Garvin went in the supplemental. I think this is exactly the right spot for Grayson yeah. Garvin. I think it's a value pick. Do I think the, that Dick Bosman and the Rays can develop that breaking ball for Grayson Garvin? If anybody can, it'll be the Rays. They are really, really good sure. at developing pitchers. And it would not shock me if Grayson Garvin got the Durham pretty soon. Also on a two-seamer and a cutter. Uh, along with that fastball, and that might make up for that deficient breaking ball. He's yeah. he's a pretty good value. And Kess Carter, again, at 56, pretty good value yeah, uh, no, to I me. Mean, it's almost, it'd, be, it'd be basically impossible not to like this draft just because they have so many high picks. Right. But I, I, I really like it. They got a lot of upside. Even though they did probably have to take a few signable players, even though signable players, you know, they mixed in a lot of upside there. Jake Hager and Brandon Martin, they got a couple shortstops. They got Tyler Goodell, who played third base for his high school team because – the shortstop was Alex Magdino, who's going okay. to Stanford, and another really good player on a great team that was number one for us for a lot of the year at uh, St. Francis there. Um, but Tyler Goodell is a player that has size and above-average speed, so he could actually move to center field for them. If he signs. Is that signs. not Eric Goodell's younger brother? It is. And, that's and a... Fa- it's, it's a fascinating backstory with the family. His dad is like a a pioneer in the biotech industry that helped create synthetic insulin and synthetic human growth hormone. Yeah, they so, know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bright family. But his brother did sign last year early for $350,000. He was an eligible sophomore, didn't have to sign. Right. Could have been UCLA's closer this year. Boy, they could have used Eric Goodell. Yeah. Um, and no offense to Nick Vandertwig, but uh, Eric Goodell probably would have been a better closer for UCLA, and, and the bullpen hurt them all year. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple other Twitter questions here. Um, let's see, uh, Mojo Dev, Scott Mofield, a regular uh, asker of questions to the podcast. What do you see? The ba- do you see Bauer signing quickly to try to get to the big leagues this year? It seems to have that type of mentality. I haven't actually really talked to Bauer on the signability, but my impression was that he wanted to go to Arizona badly enough that it wouldn't shock me if he signed sooner than later. Right. Uh, the big question for Arizona would be uh, his workload this year. If you don't sign him quickly and get him – in the pro ball now, and don't forget, he started throwing for real in February in games that matter. Yeah. That means he was tuning. His spring training was late January. Right. He's been throwing since January. This guy, even if Arizona goes to the postseason, this is not a guy you want throwing in October or yeah. September, even if you were good at it in the big leagues. And even in the best-case scenario, you just don't want somebody throwing pitches that matter from January or February until late October. Right. So for me... Even if he were to sign quickly, it would just be to kind of kind of get in and get in a little work. I don't, I don't even think he needs a little work. I'm not saying he needs the rest either because I think Trevor Bauer, uh, you know, wants to throw. He throws so that he can throw. Right. You know, that's the whole point. That's the, in a nutshell of what he does. You get your body conditioned to throw, and you throw so you can be ready to throw. Pitch less, throw more. That's it. That's it. So I, I think Trevor Bauer uh, could be in the big league soon. That could maybe be part of like a Chris Sale type deal, but at the same time, I think the more prudent approach would be uh, to give him a lot of time off sure. and maybe start him back up in instructional league, like UCLA would have with fall ball. He didn't pitch last summer either. Uh, you know, he spent the whole summer working on that effective velocity stuff with Ron Wolforth down in Texas. So um, he's he's going to have to adjust his workload and his ro- workout routine to professional baseball. It'd be good if he could do some of that this year. Um, but yeah, I do think he'll sign. I don't see him necessarily in the big leagues this year, unless it was like some kind of, again, like a way to get him extra money beyond his bonus. Right. 
Um, Josh Bell to the Pirates at 61 with the first pick today, Connor. You see that? I don't see that. I don't think so. Let, don't. Me, let me throw a question to you. Which, uh, which player are you most excited to, to see get drafted today? Who, who are you wondering where they're going to go off the board? Oh, that's a good question. Um, that's a really good question, actually. Well, Graylin Getzman, I mentioned last night, uh, high school floor, uh, high school hitter out of Florida. I was, I was intrigued, a little surprised that uh, say a guy like Dante Bichette went off the board before he did. Yeah, I'll be very interested to see Daniel Norris today. What sure. happens if anything with Daniel Norris? Put out a four million dollar signing uh, question, basically wants four million dollars to sign, and uh, that Clemson, uh, you know, Clemson might wind up getting an ace. They haven't really had a true ace for a couple of years. And uh, maybe they get one. And Daniel Norris, uh, he sounds like he's almost as tough of a sign as Josh Bell. And those are two guys back-to-back on our draft board at 15 and 16. Um, I'm trying to think of another guy just yeah, from my area. Oh, go ahead. Amir Garrett. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> Amir Garrett. Uh, Amir underscore Garrett. I mean, St. John's basketball recruit. Uh, worked out for Seattle. Worked out for Boston. Um, you know, six six athletic lefties. You know, scrape at 96. Now, I've never gotten 96 from a scout. I've gotten that from his uh, coach, the assistant coach there, Nick Aiello at uh, College Southern Nevada, who's worked with him. Um, a lot of consistent low 90s stuff. And here's a guy who was throwing like 88 last summer with basically no coaching. Yeah. Um, so, Amir Garrett, there's a world of potential there. He almost seems like too good to be true for the, for the Rays. I was kind of <laughs> hoping the Rays would have taken him yesterday with one yeah. of their sub picks. One of the one of the biggest wild cards and. and- most interesting stories. I think he's definitely one of the most interesting stories. Who are you looking to see? Well, Garrett's one of them for sure. And then, you know, another wild card basketball player that I'm excited about is Justin James. Oh, yeah. Sacramento City College. That's a good one, too. Deion James' kid. He originally went to Sacramento to play basketball and recently just switched to baseball. And he's a, you know, he's got, he's a big physical kid with a lot of tools. He can run, he shows some power. But, uh, I like that you were, you're looking for Taylor Ard. Personal cheese ball if there ever was <laughs> personal one. Personal cheese ball, yes. That's awesome, though. He is, uh, <laughs> I think he is your per- all-time personal cheese ball. Yeah. Uh, let's wrap up real quick because uh, we've already taken 35 minutes. Let's get through the rest of the first uh, first round a little bit. Uh, Connor, at 11, Houston took George Springer. What a shock. They liked that. They wanted an athlete and went for upside. I do think George Springer makes a lot of sense. At 11, I mean, yeah. he cut down the swing and miss. The statistics – say that George Springer had a better year this year. Our reports are pretty mixed on him and just his approach and just the idea at the plate. It sounds like he's a tinkerer. Gonna be a really nice, I think, project for that player development system in Houston, which has had a lot of turnover. So uh, we'll see what happens there. Um, for me, uh, Milwaukee did very well for itself at 12 and 15. Taylor, uh, Taylor Youngman and then Jed Bradley. Um, maybe not crazy upside there, but those are about as safe of picks as you could exactly. find in this draft. They're not the sexiest picks, you know, that that maybe some fans were hoping for, but you got to imagine those guys are going to be quick through the minor leagues as polished college pitchers, and we can really add a couple guys to your, your pitching staff pretty quickly. I agree. Um, I think both those guys shoot to the top of their prospect rankings. I'd rather have had Taylor Youngman than, even though I love him, Mark Rogers, for right. example. Um the Mets, I think it was pretty bold to take Brandon Nimmo at 13. We had the link to Brandon Nimmo for a long time. I think I'm happy it's just for the Mets scouting department. That they, we, we heard all along that they were on Nimmo, wanted him. That was a guy they wanted. And then they were able to – and then their general manager and, you know, Sandy Alderson and Paul D. Podesta, who obviously the head of their scouting and player development. But those guys listen to their scouts. I think that's the best part of this for me. If you're a Mets yeah. fan, I think you're happy that 
your general manager, and your brain trust, who is so associated with one way of thinking, drafting college guys, that kind of thing, trusted their scouts. Yeah, me. absolutely. And, you know, I, I love Brandon Nimmo going in that spot. I mean, I feel like uh, Baseball America kind of went out on a limb a little bit, putting him in our high school top ten in November. Yeah. So it's great to see him go where he goes. And obviously there's risk there just being, you know, just the fact that he's from Wyoming. Right. And hasn't had the kind of, you know, uh, experience that, a lot of these other high school players have had, but he had an unflattering mugshot as well on the TV, <laughs> which is unfortunate. But uh, you know, you really like that left-handed swing. Um, it's short. It's simple. Repeatable. He reminds me of a more athletic Christian Yelich, who the Marlins took in nice. a similar spot last year. Just because it's that kind of bat. I think it's it's a John Olerud type bat with athleticism, and I like that. That's a that's a really that's fascinating. Um, Jose Fernandez at 14. It just seems like it makes sense for Florida to take a Cuban immigrant. Miami, yeah. I mean. but, but at the same time, this was the Cuban we expected to get drafted yesterday. Crazy <laughs> Onelkis Garcia spec stuff. And more and more you read about that stuff, uh, the more we keep digging on it. If there's ever an international draft, I mean, I'm sorry. I don't want to put an explicit tag on this, but no. <laughs> this situation is a cluster bleep. <laughs> I mean, the exact word that was coming to my mind. What a mind. joke. I mean, what a joke was, the whole thing is. Oh, he's declared eligible for the draft on Saturday at 10 o'clock, and then the draft is Monday. And I then we heard like, he was going to be a first rounder. I felt like I was chasing a ghost yesterday. <laughs> yeah, you know, totally. I mean, it just. <laughs> and he's represented by this guy. Oh, wait. Or his age is this guy. Yeah. We don't even know. I mean, don't know how old he is. Yeah, we I think mean, he's that, 23. There was an article that came out, you know, in 2008 saying he was 20, and now they're saying, no, he's 21. So, I mean, there's just all kinds of. Questions and, and problems with that situation. Do you think Javier Baez is sketchy? Right. <laughs> and how about this guy? His picture was pretty impressive on Facebook. He looks like an athlete. Yes. But, I mean, you just he, all he also needed to look at is this guy's stats in, in Cuba. He did not dominate in Cuba. And his walk rate was almost worse than our oldest Chapman's without the 103 miles an hour. So, uh, But we digress. Uh, Chris Reed is 16 to the Dodgers. A reach. It seems like a, it reach. a reach. I think it is a reach. And, you know, I've seen some people online saying... Oh, they just drafted a loogie, but you know he's more than that. He's he, definitely more than that. He's athletic. Uh, he's got three pitches. He's definitely he has a starter profile, even though that's not what he's been used as. Check Aaron Phipps right up uh, from Aaron. Just seeing Chris Reed for an inning in the third the other day against Cal State Fullerton in a one nothing game where he got the save. Chris Reed was very good and flashing the plus fastball and, and average secondary pitches, and he yeah. got a he's got a pitcher's body. Yeah. If you're going to trust Logan White on one thing, you're going to trust him on pitching. Sure. Clayton Kershaw, Chad Billingsley. Edwin Jackson, James McDonald, the list goes on. So, uh, um, yeah, I do think it was a little bit of reach, but there is definite upside there. It's a fresh arm. You know, yeah, and, good point, and, too. And it uh, seems like their hands were tied a little bit. No doubt. <clears throat> they were in a difficult situation. I take Chris Reed over Onelkis Garcia, spec. <laughs> spec. Uh, CJ Crone at 17. We both love Crone. I think it's neat that he goes to the team where his dad made a big league, made his big league debut back in 1991. Yep. Um, looking for his brother to get drafted today. Um, 18, 19, 20, the college pitcher runs. Sonny Gray to Oakland. Did you ever think Sonny Gray would go 18? No, I didn't. I mean, that, that's great value for the A's. I, I love that value for them. Matt Barnes at 19 to Boston. I mean, Another. that was in our original mock draft a couple weeks ago when Jim Callis and I were going over that mock. Jim was like, I don't think that Matt Barnes will get this far, but I know that if he gets this far, Boston would stop it. It's like, well, he got that far. Yeah. You know, that is very, very far for a guy with that kind of stuff and that kind of track record to fall. 
and Red Sox fans will get a chance to see him in Super Regionals next week when he plays, plays against uh, South Carolina because UConn shocked the world and uh, went and won that regional at Clemson after Matt Barnes lost the first game on Friday. Um, Tyler Anderson at 20, I think, again, you want to talk about a safe pick. Yeah. He's a four-pitch lefty with a good body and athleticism going to... Focus uh, like a laser. Yeah. He's... Yeah. Yeah. That's a great pick. I like that pick for Colorado. I don't know if Tyler Anderson is necessarily a frontline starter, but he's a, he's a, he has a chance to be a Jeff Francis type of guy uh, for Rockies fans. Uh, Tyler Beattie at 21, one of the toughest signs, it sounds like, in the first round, Connor. You think Toronto takes that pick knowing they have a really good shot at signing Tyler Beattie, or are they rolling the dice there? Well, I, I think they, they took him thinking that they're going to get it done. And they, they actually took two Vanderbilt commits because they took Kevin Comer. As That's well. right. So, um, you know, maybe they're rolling the dice a little bit and edging their best by taking two of them, you yeah, know. Yeah, but uh, I think I think they're going to get BD done. I like Tyler BD at 21. He's at 20. He sounds like a definitely top 20, 21 talent. Sure. You know? Absolutely. Um, it's great oh, for Nathan Rohde. It's Tyler BD's man, personal cheese ball for a long time, and he writes up the Blue Jays. So oh, that's awesome. He enjoys that. Colton Wong at 22 and Alex Meyer at 23. Those are teams that were linked to those two players for a long time. We knew the Nationals liked Alex Meyer. We thought they might even have to take him at six, but they wait till 23, get their man. Colton Wong, polished college bat who has performed perfect for the for the Cardinals. Yeah. And a guy I think who will move quickly. I think so, too. And I, I wrote this in, in the little It's like a talented Aaron recap. Miles. <laughs> I wrote this in the brief recap that I did. But I really love Colton Wong going to a National League team just because of his, his versatility. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, he spent time he spent a little bit of time at catcher, center field, shortstop, and I think that helps the National League team more than an American League team cause with all the pitcher changes and things like that. I agree. I think that he will be a, a natural fit there. Taylor Guerrero, we've already discussed at 24. When you get the, maybe the second or third best high school arm in the draft at 24th overall, that's value. And uh, but, but that's that's all we need to say about that. Uh, Joe Ross at 25, we've discussed Blake Swihart, hey, big shock. The Red Sox took a catcher at 26. I mean, yep. you know about that all spring, basically. Did they think the right guy in your mind, Connor? I think they did. I like Austin. I, I love Austin Hedges, um, and he's definitely the better defender. He's, he's the best defensive catcher in this class and the best defensive catcher some scouts have seen in a long time. But there are more questions with the bat. There's no questions with Swihart's bat. I mean, I mean, there's some, but right. there's far fewer questions with Swihart's bat. That's, that's his strength. With power. Yeah, that's exactly. his strength is his bat. That, that is his strength. And even though he's only been switching for a couple of years, well, he's only been catching for a couple of years, too, which is athletic. And he shows the versatility that, you know, if you have to move him, he can play third base. He can maybe even play second base. He's, he's that athletic. Hmm. I mean, to me, it's like the kind of thing where an instructional league uh, or even next year's spring training special instructor or retired catcher Jason Veritek makes Blake Swihart. Oh no, his yeah, no doubt. You definitely project. definitely want him to stay a catcher, but he can he has he has options, which is a good thing. Yeah. Robert Stevenson at twenty seven to the to the Reds. First high school pitcher the Reds have drafted in the first round since Homer Bailey. Still kinda waiting for Homer Bailey to break through. Mm-hmm. But I still like the Robert the Robert Stevenson pick. Uh, was the consensus that Stevenson was slightly better prospect than Joe Ross, maybe just Ross finished a little bit better. Uh, I think we ex- kind of expected Stevenson to go ahead of Ross. Yeah. I mean, er- earlier in the year, we did have Ross ahead of Stevenson. Oh, okay. And they were always kind of neck and neck. It okay. Was always, you know, I think some teams preferred Stevenson, some teams preferred Ross. but Stevenson throws a little harder presently, it sounds right. like. He but does. Joe Ross may be a little bit more athletic. Yeah. Whereas Stevenson's a bigger guy, bigger frame guy. Yeah. Um, we already discussed uh, Sean Gilmartin at 28 to the, Red- to the Braves. 
Joe Panic and Levi Michael, San Francisco and Minnesota, the next two picks. A little bit surprising on both those counts. Joe Panic seems like a John Barr kind of guy, though. John Barr's a mid-Atlantic guy, um, you know, from that Maryland. He's, I think he's from that Maryland, New Jersey area. I know he used to work for the Orioles. Um, Joe Panic's a grinder. He's mm-hmm. a grinder who can hit. Honestly, I don't think there's a big difference between Joe Panic and Colton Wong. I don't think there's a big difference between Joe Panic and Levi Michael. Yeah. Um, even though we had Panic rated lower at 67, um, you know, the biggest issue is that Panic is not a big runner. Those guys run better than Joe Panic. Yeah. But I think when it's all said and done, if you subscribe, if you uh, ascribe to the theory, wait a minute, I'm not going to use either of those words. If you believe in the theory that you're either a burner, a clogger, or you run average, and I've talked to a lot of scouts who think that, well, then there's no difference between these three guys because Michael and Wong, I think, do run better than Joe Panic. But if they're all second basemen, which they might all be, and they all run average, which I think in that definition they really kind of do. Right. And Joe Panic is right there with those guys. He draws a lot of walks. He hits with some authority. He's a pure hitter. Uh, I like Joe Panic actually, 29. The more I think about it, the more I get jazzed up about it. <laughs> I don't know why, but uh, I kind of wish that Joe Panic would have stayed at St. John's for one more year and Amir Gear would go there and play basketball and baseball and play, play with Joe Panic. That would be cool. That would be cool. I kind of like for – honestly, I kind of want Amir Garrett to go play basketball and baseball. Maybe the, maybe the Giants will draft Amir Garrett. Ooh, I would love to see the ninja get his paws on <laughs> on Amir Garrett. That would be phenomenal, actually. Um, but I like the Joe Panic pick at 29, even though it's a little off the board. Who am I kidding? I'm kind of a Giants draft apologist, you know. <laughs> I still I still think Nate Shearholtz would be worth something. So um, Joe Panic at 29, I think an interesting pick, but not a bad pick. And to me, he's very similar, again, to Levi Michael and to Colton Wong. Levi Michael to the Twins surprised me. I don't think of the Twins as the kind of team that drafts a college middle infielder. I think it's a smart pick for them. Uh, their middle infield situation is a little fluid in their in their farm system, and especially at the big leagues. Um, he might be a shortstop. I'm guessing that Levi Michael is not a shortstop for Ron Gardenhire. I think he takes a very special shortstop for Ron Gardenhire. Yeah. I mean, Jason Bartlett wasn't good enough for Ron right. Gardenhire. Um, I think Ron Gardenhire's evaluation there was wrong, but I don't see Ron Gardenhire going anywhere. Even with the Twins having the bad year they've had this year, they're starting to get things going. Um it is interesting. He makes more sense at second for me for them. You know, there are a few teams out there that, that really do take their manager's preferences into account when they're drafting. Some don't because there's managers turnover change. and things like that. Correct. There are, there are a few teams out there that really, you know, it matters. take to heart what their what their manager likes and dislikes. I could see Levi Michael being their second baseman long term and a guy like a Danny Santana or Polanco, the other uh, Latin shortstop they signed. Levi Michael to Minnesota definitely surprised me, uh, but I think it surprised me in a good way. Uh, Mikey Matuk at, and Jake Hager at 31 and 32, and that brings us to Texas. Uh, don't mess with Texas, Connor, but we're going to end the podcast on a negative, on a down note because I don't think either one of us thought that Texas uh, – they clearly, you know, hey, Texas the scouting department said some nice things. Yeah. Let's, let, let's start off with that. But Kevin Matthews, I don't know if I think he's a reach at 33. If you think he's a more athletic Robbie mm-hmm. Erlin – well, that's pretty doggone good. But let's start off with what the gnomes, what we, what we can quantify. He's 5'10 or 5'11. I thought you said gnomes. Yeah, no, that's your that's <laughs> your making a short joke already on Kevin Matthews. <laughs> no, gnomes are your category, not mine. So he's 5'10 or 5'11. He's like about 160, 170 pounds. So he's not overly physical. It's a quick arm, but the consensus was reliever, 
two-pitch guy. They're saying three-pitch guy. He could be, hey, maybe he's flashed a third pitch. And, you know, they've obviously done their homework on him. But I didn't think Kevin Matthews – I thought that Kevin Matthews at 33 and Zach Cohn at 37 were both guys they could have probably gotten later. Maybe not Zach Cohn, but if you don't get Ke- if you don't get Zach Cohn, you know what? To me, you say, well, oh, well have you on your way. Yeah. Uh, that guy's had a pretty rough college career. And uh, now we we always heard he was going to go 30 to 45. Doing Georgia, this guy heard consistently – he will knock out of the second round for sure, no matter how bad his year goes. But here's a guy, <laughs> still doing bad <laughs> impersonations. Here's a guy who has an OPS under 700, if memory serves, who moves. His best tools are his speed and his defense in center field. He moved to left this yeah. year. Uh, now, there's a good reason for that. He had a harrowing collision with a teammate where he's so big and fast that he basically put the teammate, he, the collision paralyzed his teammate. And scouts said that he played a tentative center field after that, and they moved him to left. But to me, Kevin Matthews and Ryan and Zach Cohn at thirty-three and thirty-seven, both those picks are reaches. I agree, and I, you know, I really expected with <clears throat> the Rangers, you know, going safe and, and getting two signable guys last year with Deglin and Skull. Yeah, I thought they would make a bigger splash this year. I agree. You know, I, I, I kind of thought maybe they would make a run at Josh Bell. Um, who knows? They, they still have that chance if they want it. But. They probably had good information on Josh Bell, but I just still thought in their last two drafts, last year, Deglin, I like Skull. Luke Jackson, I'm not 100% of a Luke. Luke Jackson's actually a lot like Kevin Matthews in a lot of ways. He's skinny. He does not have like a durable uh, innings either, 200 innings. You don't look at either of those guys as think 200 innings. Right. There's some violence in both guys' deliveries. Not some violence, some effort in both those guys' deliveries. Both those guys were in high school drafts with electric stuff and premium athleticism, and I still had area scouts on both guys the last two years say reliever. Both guys. So their power arms with feel for spin and an ability to spin the, ba- the baseball. Those guys have those two things in common, and athleticism. Kevin, Ma- uh, uh, Kevin Matthews is like 5'10", and can like I had one scout tell, tell me, just give him the basketball and get out of his way. And this guy's going to put on a dunking exhibition like that Division Three dude this year who was the YouTube sensation. Yeah, Kevin Matthews can do that stuff. <clears throat> but how does that help you? I mean, yeah, I, I mean, you like athletes, you, but... I mean the, the weirdest thing for me about Matthews is he seemed like a reach just on talent. And it's not like he's going to be an easy sign. I mean, this guy's committed to Virginia, and, you know, that's, that's a tough school to get guys away from. So They clearly I, must I, think I, they're going to sign him. But I think he's in the same signability category as Taylor Beattie. Tyler B. Tyler B., thank you. Um, But for me, those picks were head-scratchers. I think the Rangers actually had the most head-scratching picks of anybody in the first day. I think so, too. I I, I agree. Well, I hate to end on a down note, but that's how we're ending on a down note. That's probably better uh, to end on that note than to end on bad impersonations. But uh, a whole (laughs) more uh, day of the draft, uh, two more days of the draft coming. Uh, The next time we podcast, I'm sure we'll have Jim Callis on to talk about it. Jim did a great job last time on the uh, touchscreen. Wish we had more, but uh, good to see Jim with an expanded role. Very happy for Baseball America to be such a part of uh, the show on MLB Network. I want to thank MLB Network for that. Love our partnership that we have with them uh, on the draft. And, Connor, great job as always. Thanks for picking up my old ass. All right. We'll be back with another podcast. I'm sure I'm podcasting later today. As a matter of fact, on the college stuff with Aaron Fit, and I'll probably cut podcasts on what I eat later today because (laughs) Shack is coming here. And uh, hopefully I'll keep the bad impersonations to a minimum. For Connor Glassy, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.
After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. 